Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, episode 179. What will separate top CEOs from the rest in a post-pandemic world? This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of growth. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And sitting right across from me, as always, is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. Hi, Pam. It's great to join you again for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio. And as always, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for visionary leaders to accelerate themselves and their companies to their next level of game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth. And Pam, as our regular listeners know, over the past few months, we've been focusing episodes on what it will take to emerge from the pandemic that we're experiencing and the economic volatility it's brought upon us, to do this in a way that's responsive to both current needs and the new needs that are going to be emerging in the world. While it's clear that this is an evolving situation with a lot of uncertainty, there is something that's already certain. CEOs need to lead in ways that engage and enable a variety of stakeholders to envision the path forward and do what it takes to get there. It may seem mysterious to how this happens, but it doesn't have to be. But what's going to separate the top CEOs from the rest? That's another question. Someone who has spent considerable time understanding this issue is our guest today, Adam Bryant. He's Managing Director of American Company, an executive mentoring firm. A little bit more about Adam is he joined them in 2017 after a 30-year career in journalism, including 18 years at the New York Times. In addition to his many roles there as reporter and editor, he created the weekly Corner Office column in 2009, interviewing 525 CEOs and other leaders over a decade, and wrote two books based on the themes that emerged from those interviews. Since joining Merrick, he started several popular interview series on LinkedIn with board directors, CEOs, and CHROs, and writes a monthly column on leadership for Strategy Plus Business Magazine. His next book, which he's writing with former Amgen CEO Kevin Scherer, is called The CEO Test, Mastering the Challenges That Make or Break All Leaders. This will be published early next year by Harvard Business Review Press. Adam also is the senior advisor to the Ruben Mark Initiative for Organizational Character and Leadership at Columbia University. You can read more about Adam Bryant by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 179. Adam, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about how you arrived at your unique approach to interviewing CEOs about leadership. Sure. It's, it's a pretty uh, simple story. I was a business reporter for many years at the Times, uh, covered a lot of companies and industries, interviewed a lot of CEOs. Um, and I found myself when I was interviewing them, asking them the usual questions about the competitive landscape and their strategy that I, I really just wanted to set those asides, aside and ask them, how do you do what you do? And so I launched Corner Office on this uh, simple what if, which is what if I sat down with CEOs and never asked them a single question about their companies? 
and instead just ask them really just questions about leadership lessons they've learned over the course of their lives from the time they were kids, parental influences, early mistakes as managers, and, and how they think about culture and teams and hiring now as CEOs. And so that was the framework. The other what if that I, I used at the start was, um, what if I interviewed a lot of female CEOs and also uh, people of color in those senior leadership positions and never asked them any race or gender specific questions? So the idea was let's interview everybody as leaders first and foremost and only. Um, and so that was the initial idea. And it just sort of took off over time and interviewed 525, as you said in the intro, never missed a week over uh, over a decade and, and really looked for leadership in, in all aspects of life. It wasn't just kind of starting at the top of the you know Fortune 500 list and working down. I uh, interviewed leaders in arts and entertainment. I interviewed Kenny Chesney, the country music star, uh, a Broadway production straight stage manager, really just wanted to kind of humanize and democratize leadership, again, rather than just focusing on the CEOs of the Fortune 100. Adam, over the years, you've done a huge amount of synthesis. In your books, you've pointed out some of the top leadership skills and abilities and characteristics that they have. But, you know, we're kind of in uncharted territory now. What are three top leadership challenges that the CEOs have to be able to navigate in this post-pandemic world? I think the first one is just this idea of embracing ambiguity. I mean, mm -hmm. people have been talking about this for a long time, uh, but it is very real now. It's just very hard to see, you know, beyond the next quarter. Um, you know, I'm, I'm often reminded of the fact that a lot of leaders have grown up over the last 12 years without a crisis, right? I mean, it's it's been a dozen years since uh, the financial crisis of 2008. Yeah. And so I think a lot of this notion of ambiguity was kind of an amorphous thing, like, I get it, but now everybody's living this, and we're sort of getting a, a master class and a, and a real test in how to embrace that ambiguity. I mean, the coronavirus as it has swept around the world. In some ways, it's affected everybody. It's it's no it's nobody's fault, and the patterns are very similar. But just in those kind of early weeks and, and now months into it, there's a pattern that's evolving of first kind of stabilizing the business and then looking forward. And how do you do a reset? How do you see it as an opportunity? How do you come out stronger on the other side? So I would put that at the top of the list. I think we need to talk about remote working as being part of the new normal. Yeah. We're seeing more and more companies saying, yeah, we're moving to this permanently. Uh, but I think even companies that aren't, I don't think we're going to get back to the day where a full parking lot is a sign of productivity for the boss, right? Um, I think people are recognizing that um, we, we can all do this. It works. You know, there's not a whole heck of a lot lost. I mean, it's always good to, to break bread with somebody in person. But, um, you know, if you know the people you're meeting with, you can have productive meetings. And there's, just, there's not the wear and tear on commuting and business travel and all those things. But I do think this creates a, a, an extra challenge for CEOs leading in that environment. Because as the name goes, remote working, you do feel very remote. Yeah. You can feel very isolated. You know, people can get very much up in their own heads a little bit. And if you're an employee and you get an email from your boss that says, fine, you know, you sort of look at that word. And it's like, <laughs> is that like fine, like grudging okay or sure? Um, yeah. And I've heard stories uh, from a lot of people uh, and just friends. And I, I think there's some extra challenges. So I Gonna think take that's... new leadership muscles. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I 
would put that as number two. And I think, you know, obviously coinciding with, uh, with COVID, we've had this incredibly heightened awareness around, you know, systemic racism in our society. Um, and, uh, you know, the optimist in me believes that there, there is, we are living through an inflection point um, and that there are, there is going to be a kind of permanent increased focus on that. The skeptic in me worries that, you know, as other news cycles take over, some of this is going to fade. But I think this broader notion of the, the different stakeholders that you have. I mean, the business roundtable started that discussion, but I think it's, it's been broadened even more. You know, Me Too movement, various social movements, the amplification effect of, of social media. Um, you know, I, I, I think just being a CEO is just getting so much harder. I, I think with some of these big companies, there's a sense of, of responsibility for the mental health of your employees. If you're going to be asking them to work at home, um, there's just a, a greater level of care. So, you know, as the, the, the list of things that you are uh, for which you are responsible and have to worry about as a CEO has has grown considerably just in the last few months, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's a tsunami of new challenges that are descending upon us. And we also see that a number of companies are making decisions where they'll go two steps forward and then, you know, two steps backward or sideways. It's it's hard to know because the customers that they have are making new decisions. I mean, we see it with companies of all sizes. Do you see that as well? We do. I, certainly also in all the interviews that I've done, um, maybe I, I'm, I am an optimist of heart. So I, I have been intrigued by the conversations I've, I've been having, you know, under the, the heading of silver lining uh, of this crisis. And it seems like a lot of companies are, you know, either building or working uh, new muscles um, in this kind of speed of decision making. I mean, at post-crisis, everybody increased their cadence of meetings. So decisions are being made faster and the expectation for execution is faster. Big companies struggle with prioritization. Small companies struggle with prioritization. We see this a lot in our work, and I'm sure you do too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you ask people what their priorities are, they say, well, th- we've got these 10 things, and those aren't priorities, right? Uh-huh. Uh, it depends. It depends. <laughs> well, so. uh, but I, I have found that... Um, you know, a lot of companies are saying, okay, in this crisis, let's focus on the things that really matter. Um, and we'll push everything to the back burner. And, and so there is this sense of, I've, I've heard some interesting lines from leaders who, in effect, say, it'd be nice to have a crisis without the crisis, because <laughs> there, there is this sense of, look what we can do. I mean, many of them point out that if you had said, you know, we want to get everybody working remotely at a big company uh, before the crisis, people would have said that would have taken 18 months and six committees. And ultimately, the answer would be no. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you have to do it, you can do it in a matter of days. So I think there's a bit of a sense of can we bottle this? Uh, So, you know, hold on to this on the other side of the crisis. Oh, there, there is something to be said for that. So let's narrow it down here. What would you say is the most critical attribute that will separate the top CEOs from the rest in meeting all of these different challenges? I keep coming back to this notion of, of the ability to simplify complexity. And as the world is getting more complex, to be able to kind of create a, a simple model and framework for where the company's going why, how are we going to get there, 
um, and then communicating the heck out of it. And I think that's becoming more important, especially in this remote world. To me, that's the answer to these challenges of both the ambiguity and the remote nature of work, to be able to say, look, we may be a big multinational corporation with a lot of different businesses, but to create a simple framework that people can hold in their heads and that is meaningful, that is not just, you know, kind of a statement of the obvious. You know, in all our mentoring work in in the C-suite, in all my interviews, this theme has come up over and over and over again. And the percentage of people who have that ability uh, to do that, when they do it and they get it right, it is so powerful. And we've seen examples of that. I mean, I think in many ways, Bob Iger is, is a great example. I mean, from the day he took over as CEO of Disney, he said, we are going to focus on three things, you know, global expansion, great content, and we're going to embrace technology and all its platforms. Mm-hmm. Simplify, 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 except that it's not simple. Right. But it's, <laughs> it's but everybody in the company can can look at that like there is a sweet spot um, because in our work with leaders, sometimes they go, well, that's obvious. And there is a sweet spot there. But you think of that Bob Iger example. If if you're working at Disney, you're probably working on one of those three things. And in hindsight, it always looks obvious. But if you see the through line of Disney's growth and, and Iger's career, everything he has done has been to build those three things. Yes, and to me, that, that's the art form. Yes, and it's, it's art and more. And we're going to dig deeper on that. But first, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll come back with our guest, Adam Bryant, Managing Director of American Company, author of the best-selling book, The Corner Office, and an upcoming book, The CEO Test. Stay with us. This is Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. As always, we focus on enabling C-suite leaders to accelerate momentum for game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth, and we can be found at businessadvance.com. To everyone listening, we're glad you joined us, whether it's because you're a subscriber or you just found us wherever you pick up your podcasts. But there's a special reason to visit growthignitersradio.com. This is the only way you can access all of the previous podcast episodes from over five years. It's also the only place you can can find unique show notes, biographies, and resource links specifically related to each of our podcast episodes. Subscribe today by going to growthignitersradio.com and click on sign up now. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Scott and I are talking today about what sets top CEOs apart from the rest with our guest, Adam Bryant, Managing Director of American Company, who is also author of multiple best-selling books, including The Corner Office, and is author of the upcoming book, The CEO Test. Adam, how can people find out more about you and your books? Uh, at adambryantbooks.com, and also uh, if encourage people to connect with me on LinkedIn. Okay. And for everybody listening, you can see more by visiting growthignitersradio.com, episode 179, and scroll down to resources. When we left off, we were talking about simplify, 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 and it is an art for sure. You talked a little bit about what led you to this conclusion. Let's talk more about that. Do you have a story? 
Sure. I, and, and I think the story is focused around the, the sort of disconnect I experienced and, and saw over time that I, I, you know, in my interviews with hundreds of leaders, this theme of simplifying complexity would come up. You know, Kevin Sher, who's my co-author, said it is a leader's job to simplify complexity, comma, and be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's an important insight. I talked to the CEO of Novartis. He said that the real test for strategy is can people hold it in their heads? Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed Susan Salka, who runs AMN Health. Healthcare, and she had this wonderful line about you know her father who would sometimes say you know put that in terms of cows, chickens, and taters for me, and, and that's shorthand for just make it simple so that I can understand it. So you hear this smart advice from CEOs, but you know in in my career as a journalist and now as a consultant, you go into these companies and then you might see okay. We're going to put up our strategy slide now. And very often they'll have like six or seven bullet points next to a tiered colored triangle. And then there's corkscrew arrows going through it. And Mm -hmm. it kind of all makes sense in the moment, but obviously nobody can remember this. And so I just kept seeing these kind of disconnects that this is important to do, yet so few people can do it. And the other gap is that there's also a big disconnect between how clear it is in the leader's head. They may Mm -hmm. think it's obvious to me, it's obvious to everybody else, everybody knows this, yet often it isn't. In our consulting work, if we're mentoring a CEO, sometimes we'll reach out to their their leadership team. We always start off with the same question, which is before we talk about Joe or Jane, we'd just like to hear in your own words, what's the strategy? And it is amazing how you can sometimes ask 12 people that question and hear 12 different answers. Yes, it um, is. And it so, is. so I just keep this kind of constant feedback loop about how important it is to do it. Uh, and yet so many people struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's also personal to the leader? So that if maybe I think in uh, cows and potatoes, and somebody else thinks in a different way, that becomes almost a cultural metaphor for how to help simplify this to the organization that they lead. I think that's right. I mean, as I've spent a lot of years thinking about leadership, I've I've adopted this notion of, of Russian nesting dolls <laughs> to talk about leadership because when people say what's important to leadership and you start putting all those words and phrases on a whiteboard, I, I, I think a lot of them conceptually kind of nest inside each other mm-hmm. or they're very similar. So when we're talking about this art of simplifying complexity, I, I think it's partly being able to communicate. And what makes a good communicator? I think it's, it's having empathy for understanding how the audience is going to hear it. And then on top of that, I think there's a curiosity layer to it where as you're building those communication muscles over years and years and years, just being able to read a room and see Uh the audience and you talk to people afterwards, it's like, is this landing? Does everybody understand this? And so with that, you just increasingly understand the importance of simple communication. And then I do think it's a muscle that that has to be worked. I heard this great expression from a guy named Marcus Ryu, who is uh, the chairman of a company called Guidewire in Silicon Valley. And my shorthand for his insight, it's, it's sort of the Einstein theory of communication. And what he said is, you can have a room full of Einsteins, the smartest people on the planet, but there's there's something about the human brain that the bigger the audience, the more the collective IQ drops. Yeah. Um, and and I thought that was just so fascinating. And, and I've I give a fair amount of talks myself. And and the message is the bigger the audience, you know, the bigger the font, uh, the shorter the list of bullet points, and and keep that keep that message simple. And then you have to keep communicating it over and over, almost like a politician where you get tired of hearing yourself say it. 
but you need to keep saying it. And I heard a great test from one CEO. He said, you know your message is starting to land when people start teasing you and making fun of you, that they know exactly what you're going to say. And even though that might seem awkward, that's your sign that you are breaking through. And then the the trick, once you have this Russian doll, is to unnest it and go from that simple idea, which can't be simplistic, to all of the things that have to happen and cascade down the line so that there is a consistency among all the different parts of the organization that people know what has to happen and they can figure out what I have to do with those other people to make it happen. That's exactly right. It's, you know, Kevin, my co-author, he talks about he when he was in his 20s, he was the chief engineer of a nuclear submarine uh, when he was in the Navy. And he had to understand in his head how to be able to take apart and put together, put back together an entire nuclear sub. And so what he called it for himself was I had to develop an idiot diagram yeah. for myself. And it's that kind of very high level. And as you said, Scott, it's, it's almost as if you kind of keep double clicking and, you know, from that idiot diagram, you go into greater and greater yep. depths of complexity. Uh, so, but he had that habit of mind, and then when he went to run Amgen, you know, biopharmaceuticals, and he had to develop a, an idiot diagram for himself. And I have to say, I mean, I asked him once. I said, "Okay, so how does a nuclear submarine work?" And in about a minute and a half, <laughs> he explained it to me, and I said, "I know how a nuclear submarine works." That's great. <laughs> now we talk about all the skills that leaders, uh, CEOs have to have. They, this simplifying communication, excellent execution. Beyond the skill sets, what are some of the values and beliefs that you've come to discover over the years, the values and beliefs about leadership that top CEOs share that separate them from the rest? And especially with this kind of underscore notion of in a post-pandemic world. In a post-pandemic world. Yeah, you know, I I don't think this is going to be a newsflash, but I keep coming back to sort of humanity and humility. We've just really come to understand the importance of those things in this moment we are living in. That anybody, any leader who thinks that, you know, I have the answers and command and control leadership, it's just not going to work. And if (laughs) nobody's going to believe you, let alone follow you. So people have to be comfortable saying, I don't know, what does everybody else think? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this, just this notion of humanity, I mean, there's been such a premium on connecting over Zoom calls and through phone lines. And the simple question of how are you has become much more meaningful rather than just a kind of obligatory hello And, you know, especially in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, I mean, just Mm -hmm. being willing and able to have what might be awkward or difficult conversations, you know, whatever elephants there are in the room, just to be comfortable introducing them. It's like, we need to talk about this. How, how is everybody feeling about this? This is how I feel about it. This is a story in my life. What about everybody else? Mm -hmm. Um, And again, back to the sort of Russian nesting dolls, I think all that feeds into this idea of, of trust. Because if, if, you, if we play the dinner party game of what is the single most important aspect of leadership, there's no right answer. Nobody has the lock on a right answer, but I would put trust at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you can unpack trust. It, it's, a, it's a multi-layered word. But I think part of it is just like, you know, I understand your belief system, that you live your beliefs. There's not some gap between what you say is important and what you actually do. And making sure that cascades down through the organization, 
because without that, you're going to have cynicism, right? There's going to be a sense of hypocrisy. You can't say diversity is important to us and then have an all-white male leadership team. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to fly over time. Yeah, yeah. They, say, they say that authenticity is the key to great actors and the key to great musicians. It's also the key to great leaders. Right. I agree. That's, that's true. So it seems like the greater the complexity that we're facing, the more it comes down to things that are simple, like trust, but not simple. It takes art. It takes skill. It takes values of believing that we don't have all the answers. And we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll speak more with Adam Bryant, Managing Director at American Company and author of the best-selling book, The Corner Office, and an upcoming book, The CEO Test, about immediately useful ideas to successfully navigate new CEO leadership challenges in the post-pandemic world. Stay with us. You are listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. We're on the web at businessadvance.com. Pam, as we've been speaking with Adam Bryant about the type of leadership that separates top CEOs from all the others, it's clear that one of the things that really matters is the ability to adapt and deal with disruption. And that's only going to become more critical in this world. That's right. And this brings to mind a related conversation we had with Peter Gleason, CEO of the National Association for Corporate Directors, about the new keys for leadership success in a disruptive world. This was based on NACD's 2019 Blue Ribbon Commission report on adaptive governance. We discussed with Peter the board's oversight of disruptive risk, what more boards are looking for from their CEOs and top leadership teams, and the advantage this brings in these turbulent times, and this was before the pandemic. So to listen to our interview with Peter Gleason, go to Growth Igniters Radio, select episode 179, and click on the link in the resources section. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been talking with Adam Bryant, Managing Director of Merrick and Company and best-selling author of books including The Corner Office and his upcoming book, The CEO Test, about the values and skills that set top CEOs apart from the rest. Adam, remind us again how people can find out more about you and your books. Sure, thank you. Uh, website is adambryantbooks.com and just Google me on LinkedIn, Adam Bryant, and, uh, and reach out and connect. Okay. And remember, you can also see more by visiting growthignitersradio.com, episode 179, and scroll down to resources. So this is the part of our podcast when we discuss the practical ways to bring all these ideas that we've been discussing to life. Let's start with an immediately useful tip for CEOs to navigate the new leadership challenges in the post-pandemic world. What is the first one? Let's come back to this idea of simplifying complexity. You know, just for context, I used to think that the word strategy was clear to everybody who said it and everybody had a shared understanding of what that meant. But I've really come to appreciate that that word is like a Rorschach test, classic ink plot. If, you know, everybody has a different idea of what it means. Mm-hmm. It's really come out of our, our mentoring work with C-suite executives, but also from my hundreds of interviews with leaders. I've always been sort of searching for, okay, well, 
how do you create a tool to help simplify complexity? It's, it's one thing to say it, and if, if strategy is such an amorphous concept. And I really like the approach adopted by um, Dinesh Palawal, who ran Harman International. He stepped down recently. He talks about just this kind of one-page document with four components. And the first one is just one or two concrete sentences about what you're trying to achieve, the actual outcomes, you know, where you are going, what you want to do. So many companies, when they talk about strategy, it's, it's really just a, a kind of static description of what they do as opposed to we want to go from point A to point B. So you start with that. The second section is, well, what are the three big levers you want to pull to achieve that, that, that you have to do to achieve that goal? Third section is, well, what are the headwinds you've got to navigate? What are the challenges in, in reaching those? And the fourth component to it is like, well, how are you going to measure progress? There are so many tools and systems for doing this, but we've just found in our work that this one-page approach that uh, Dinesh came up with really resonates with people. And there's a, there's a real art form to it. I mean, as, as much as it's simple, a lot of people struggle with it. But again, the, to me, that's, that's the most effective kind of tip and tool that we use. Yeah, so the simpler, the better. And to a certain extent, it also sounds like you're saying the more visual you can be about it, the more likely it is that people will be able to see it with you. Definitely. And, and to that point, um, you know, I interviewed the lead director of uh, Home Depot, and, and he told me that for a lot of their board meetings, rather than getting like the 200 you know, page board deck beforehand, that if there's an issue that they're discussing, that the company actually creates like an 11 by 14 placemat, where it's okay. essentially like, you know, graphics to explain the concept. We understand and remember visuals, and, and that's just a great forcing function to get people to simplify things. Okay. What's another practical thing that people can do to up their leadership abilities? I, I think CEOs and, and, frankly, all senior leaders really have to make sure that they build a kind of listening system, and they need to approach it like that because – a lot of leaders think they're good listeners, but they do it in the context of, you know, when somebody's, when I'm in a meeting or somebody's sitting across the table from me, I'm a good listener. But, you know, the higher up you go, the more that you're surrounded by a bubble and bad news, you know, everybody's massaging the news so that you don't hear any bad news. So this idea of kind of building a proactive system to make sure that you understand what people are thinking and feeling. And part of it is through employee surveys and getting more granular with those, because a lot of people say, well, what's your, how do you feel about the company? But they're missing the point that your experience at the company is probably more determined by your boss. Um, and a company like Kronos, uh, the CEO there, Aaron Ain, he's got this whole system that he's set up asking a lot of questions. It's like, how do you feel about your boss? Is your boss doing these things for you? Asking questions like, is your manager living the values that, that we've articulated for this company? What do you think of the job the CEO is doing? So it's not just through survey data, but it's about getting out in small groups, but just it's this kind of healthy paranoia that, that you don't know what's actually going on in the organization. And approaching that is just part of your job and your responsibility. Because otherwise, you're just going to be a prisoner of anecdote and you're going to think, I walk around the office, everybody's smiling at me. I guess everybody's happy. We've mm -hmm. got a great culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, now here we are in the post-pandemic world and part of your employees are virtual and some of them are located here and there. So if we're looking at that particular aspect of it, because I agree with you, listening is really key. Is there something that might be special that somebody could do right away 
that would help them to know that people really, that everybody's listening to each other? What do you find? Well, I, I think there's in the moment listening and a lot of people struggle with that. So with your immediate team, I mean, it, there's just, I, I think there's too many meetings where people aren't present, right? They're, they're on their laptops, they're on their phones. And so there's, listening has to start, you know, sort of a localized fashion. And then beyond that, it's just, it's really creating the forums to get the feedback uh, and make sure it's it's unvarnished and honest and that you approach it like data in the same way that you you know, you're looking for data on the financial spreadsheet about the company's performance. You need proof. In many ways, it goes back to this idea of like, how do you know what you don't know? Exactly. What, what's yes. really going on in the organization? And you have to go out and get it because it's not going to come to you. This whole notion of like, no news is good news. That is so not true yeah. for leaders, because if you're not hearing the news, that just means you're not hearing the bad news. And we've heard more than once people at the top CEOs saying, the thing that frightens me the most is the feeling that my head is cut off from my feet, that I, <laughs> I don't know what's really going on. Right. And I can ask people, I can have an open door, but no one comes in the open door. Yeah. And one of the best ways you can do that is to reward people for telling you what they think you don't want to hear. Right. And, and on that very specific point, Scott, just, you know, I know you guys are looking for tips. Um, one CEO I, I talked to, he tells his teams whenever he's working with a new team, here's the rule, everybody. If you have bad news, I want you to text me. If you have good news, wait till we see each other in person. All right. Now, what's the third tip? I, I think the one of the biggest challenges that leaders face, and we see this over and over in our mentoring work, is just being clear about um, and honest with yourself about how good the people are on your team. Because if the, you simply can't succeed as a leader if you don't have a good team under you. And we find over and over that people tend to kind of tolerate mediocre behavior. And, you know, they hold on to people and maybe there, there's some long history there. So in terms of a concrete tip or tool, I, 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 I like the simple question of, if everybody left the team, who would you hire back? Mm. And I think that's just a very quick and immediate gut check. The other great framework that I heard from one of our colleagues uh, at Merrick named Bruce Gordon, he talked about the idea of a golden age of management. And he said, if you're a leader and if you're lucky, you know, over the course of your career, you may have like three golden ages where everybody on your team is great. They work together well, you're productive, and it's just a lot of fun. But again, over the course of your career, if you're lucky, you're going to have three of those moments. So then the test to ask yourself is, is the people on my team, are they going to create that golden age for us and for me? And I find those questions serve as forcing functions to really stare at this question of like, am I tolerating mediocre performance here? Or are these people really good enough to get us there? A very good thing for people to be thinking about. So here we are at the end of the episode. Do you have some final thoughts you can leave us with as far as what will separate top CEOs from the rest in a post-pandemic world? You know, I, I, so much of success comes back to hiring, right? And, and it's something that I've been so intrigued about. You know, Because if, if you are going to succeed in a post-pandemic world, you need people on your team who can do that. Uh, and who are comfortable in those moments. And I think there's got to be just a lot of questions in the interview about that, of like, you know, share some moments where the answer wasn't clear and, and how did you navigate that? Because if, if you as a leader are going to be good at embracing ambiguity and, and you want your organization to be good at, you've got to have other people 
uh, on your or on your team. When I interviewed the CEO of, of Twilio in uh, San Francisco, a guy named Jeff Lawson, um, you know, he asked people in interviews like, "What have you What have you built?" And it doesn't mean just in a literal construction sense, but looking for people who are kind of entrepreneurial thinkers who have tried to build things, who have tried to create things. Um, and you simply need those people on your team because we are in this age uh, where we're all writing the playbook in real time. You can't be an employee anymore who says, okay, you, you give me this job, now give me the playbook for how to do it. You have to write the playbook. Yeah. Um, and just figuring out the right questions to test that and making sure that people can do that, I think that's, you know, that's the way you kind of scale yourself as a leader is to get people who can do that as well. Adam, thank you so much for being our guest on Growth Igniters Radio. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Adam. And thanks to you out there for listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To check out resources related to today's conversation, share on social media, read Adam's bio and the episode transcript, or even open a conversation with us, go to growthignitersradio.com select episode 179. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to consider. What is one thing, start with one, that I can do differently or better as a CEO that will enable me to successfully navigate the new leadership challenges in this post-pandemic world? Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper are registered service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated are prohibited. All rights reserved.